All right, all right, all right. Man, I hope you are having a great morning today. Look at your neighbor and say, are you having a great morning? All right, man, I hope you're having a great morning. Man, it's it's a blessing to be able to be standing here this morning, filling in for our pastor, Pastor Matt, as we jump back into our series on Galatians. And so that's where we'll be today, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And I want to start off by telling on me a little bit. Man, I used to live my life by the motto, if it's free, it's me, all right? That's, that, that's what was my mantra, all right? You couldn't stop me from bragging or boasting if I felt like I had just scored the best deal ever. And at times, man, I've even been a sucker for one of those TV infomercials. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like they already had me on the edge of my seat, and then they said the magic phrase, but wait. There's more, all right? Man, but one thing that is so true, y'all have heard the old adage, you get what you pay for, right? Man, that's rang true too many times in my life. Like, Shannon, remember that time that I thought I found an amazing deal on some bunk beds, right? I was bragging. I was letting the world know about it. Man, I was coming home. I had them in the trailer. I thought I was bringing home a diamond in the rough, but really what I was bringing home was a bunch of bed bugs in that furniture, all right? Golly, we still have PTSD from that one, all right? Man, it was crazy, all right? Or like the time I thought that I had just scored a pair of Nike Kobe Elite Nines, high top edition, because you know I got swag, all right? Man, severely weak ankle genetics, all right? And so, man, I was so pumped. I was bragging, you don't know the deal that I got. Man, the box came to me in the mail. I opened it up. And really what I had bought was a picture of some Nike Kobe Elite number nines, all right? Man, that guy had scammed me and took my money and was laughing all the way to the bank, all right? Man, so I understand why for some people it's hard to believe that something unbelievable can be absolutely free. Man, they're, they're skeptical, all right? They, they think that there's got to be strings attached, or maybe they feel like, man, there's no way that that can be true. It's too good to be true. Like, I have to earn it or something, or I'm going to have to pay it back somehow or some way. And here's the thing. That's exactly what was happening in the churches of Galatia when Paul was writing this letter to those churches. Some of those leaders were teaching that in order to be a true Christian, the people had to follow the old mosaic laws. May you still had to have circumcision. May you still had to watch what you ate. May you still had to obey the Sabbath and so on and so on. And some people in these churches, they were finding it very difficult to understand that God's grace was actually a truly amazing and free gift. So let me tell you this. This morning, man, if you're trying to get right with God by following all the rules and the regulations and doing all the right things, you will never get there on that path. Instead, may you be a slave to those rules. May you be a slave to following that list. And those things will never make you free, no matter how good you become at walking those things out. But a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ is free. Let me say that one more time. A life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ is free. But man, there was a big price that was paid. Man, it's all about grace. We receive this free gift of grace, the freedom from having to earn God's approval. And the price that was paid was when Jesus paid that price through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And so when you live your life by following Jesus, then there's no amount of money. There's no amount of time. There's no amount of possessions, not even some Kobe Elite, number nine, with the high top edition, all right? None of those things can take the place of the freedom that you find in faith. Can I get an amen? Well, here's the thing. But wait, there's more. All right, because if you have your Bible with you today, man, I want to ask you to turn, tap, or scroll your way to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And if you don't have your Bible, man, look in the back of the pew that is directly in front of you. You will probably see a Bible. You could probably reach out and grab it. And if you can't, holler down the road and say, man, I need one of those. Let them slide it to you. And if you don't know where Galatians is, use the table of contents. It's on the right side of the Bible. Not that there's a wrong side, but it's on the New Testament side. And if you learn, way back in the day, go eat popcorn. We're in the go part of that acronym. Galatians, all right? Chapter 6, verse 1. The big numbers are the chapters and the small numbers are the verses. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 this morning. So please join me in praying these three things. Let's pray that God would speak. Let's pray that we would listen to his truth. And let's pray that that truth would set us free. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to come here, to be able to worship you in music, God, in, in, in song, and in, in studying your word. Hey, God, I pray that as we get into this text today, God, we pray that you would speak. God, we pray that you would speak loud and clear. God, drown out all the distractions so that we would be able to secondly hear you speaking. God, if we didn't come here with the goal to hear from you, then please let us get our goals right. So God, we pray that you would speak. God, we pray that we would hear. And God, we pray that that truth that we hear would set our lives free. God, that it would change us. Man, free from sin, free from all the transgressions that we'll talk about later. God, we pray that you would do just as your word says. And we ask all this in your son's precious name. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to stay in verse 1. And we're going to end in verse 1 today. One verse. One verse is all Matt trusts me with. Not playing. All right. So we're going to be at uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Galatia, uh, the churches in Galatia, man, it reads like this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Look at the first verse, I mean, look at the first word in that verse. It says, brothers. Man, I want to pause on that just for a second because church family, we got to be careful not just to plow through God's word all up in a hurry that we miss exactly what he wants us to see. Man, we can skip that first word. Maybe some of y'all's translation says brothers. Maybe it says brothers and sisters. But we got to understand why he is addressing these churches like this, all right? But instead, man, uh, of using any other word, he uses these familial language when he talks to these churches. But I got to tell on myself, man, last week, Ron was up here. Pastor Ron was bringing the heat. Man, he was bringing the fire, letting the Holy Spirit speak. And... 
all up in my mind, these earworms kept on trying to take priority, all right? Man, he was talking about prayer, and we were feeling it, and I was trying to learn. And then this song just kept on trying to be louder than what I was taking in. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's by MC Hammer, but it's like, we got to pray. Pray, we got to pray. Pray, y'all know it? It says, we got to pray just to make it to the And I was like, get out of my head, all right? I'm trying to listen to the sermon right now. There's no room for you. And as soon as I got it out, then another song tried to take over, and it was like, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, yeah, yeah. And I don't even listen to Guns N' Roses, but I was like, but it's kind of on topic because we're talking about prayer. We're praying to our Heavenly Father, and we got to keep on knocking. But get out of there. Get out of there. But, man, as I digress, even when I think about this very first way that he starts off this uh, verse by saying, brothers, man, another song wants to creep into my head by the Sledge Sisters. Y'all know the song, we are family. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I got my brothers and my sisters with me. That's what I think of whenever I see how he addresses these churches. Because he uses these words because he's addressing them like they are his family. Y'all feel me? Y'all see what I'm saying? And so today's passage, man, it has me thinking of that. And I wanted to break this down because that's exactly what we are. The church is a family. Say that to yourself. The church is a family, or it ought to be. When the church is doing the right thing, it is a family. And you need a family. You need a family to care for you. But you need a church family to be able to care for you spiritually. See, the church is a household. It's a gathering of brothers, sisters, moms, dads, mammies, pappies, aunts, and uncles. And somebody on the outside wants to take a peek at your family and say, man, y'all look kind of weird. But that's okay. All right? You just kind of holler back and you just say, man, we don't look weird. We look diverse. That's how it ought to be. God has created. We got all different people from all different places in this city coming together as one. This is our church family, all right? Man, there's nothing like being a part of a church family of faith. And so when I say that, I want to ask you this question. Do you love your church family? Be careful how you answer this because I know some of y'all, y'all big and bold, and I already know that you love your church because you tell everybody about your church. Me, you post it on social. You tell your friends and your family about your church. You invite other people to come to your church. But let me clarify it like this. Do you love your church family enough to care for them spiritually? See, I love my kids. Me and my wife, we love our kids, but we don't want to see them destroy their lives. And so we want to protect them. And by our desire to protect them as good parents, we have to understand that there's a lot of times that we have to correct them as well. That's what good parents do. Man, that's what families do for one another. That's what church families do. Man, they care for each other by speaking truth in love. And so, man, every day, man, I thank God that I'm part of a church family like this one. But wait, there's more. Check this out. He keeps on going. He says, brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, let's stop right there. Let's focus on that phrase, caught in any transgression. See, Paul says that sometimes those in our family, they're going to get caught up in wrongdoing. 
There's times that maybe a better way to define this is not like you've been caught red-handed because we've all been there, all right? And some of us took a lot of planning to get there, and now we've been caught. But here's the thing. Check this out. This is more like you've been overtaken by this transgression. Man, maybe you've kind of like stumbled upon it, and it's this there. It's got a hold of you, and Peter warns us. Man, uh, in, in, in his books to say, man, you got to watch out. You got to be careful. Y'all remember Peter's warning where he says, be ever watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around us like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we got to be careful out here because if we're not, men, our brothers and sisters, they've fallen into one of these traps that the enemy has put out before them. And so they're calling for help, and that is when we need our faith family to come alongside somebody who's been falling into this trap and pry it open and be able to pull them out of that trap and, and set them free. In church family, we need people to come alongside us when this happens. And notice how I said when this happens, not if this happens, because it's going to be inevitable. Another song, I won't sing it for you this time, but it's an oldie, but a goodie. It was written in 1758. It was written by Robert Robinson. Maybe y'all have heard it. It's the hymn, Come Thou Fount. And in the third verse, I love how the lyrics say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I mean, the author of this song, many penned these lyrics, and he talks about the conflict of how we love our Lord, but yet we're still prone to wander away from his truth and his teaching. Man, James, he wrote in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, way before 1758, he says this, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will, live, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And right there, James is referring to the idea of wandering from the truth. So church family, man, I don't want to just ask you, do you love your church? But I want to ask you, do you love your church enough to love them spiritually? And if you love them in a spiritual way, then are you concerned with strained church members? Are you even aware of it? Do you know when your brother and sisters have fallen into a trap? Do you know when they've wandered away? Man, if we love them, then we would be concerned with them. Man, some of y'all, y'all know, last time I spoke, I told that my family, not that we didn't have enough going on, but we brought a new puppy into our house, right? So we became new pet owners again, all right? Not that we haven't been. Man, we had a dog that passed away after like 15 plus years. Great, great, great dog, all right? Man, my, uh, we also have a rabbit, and we even have a turtle, and we have all these other things that we've rescued, all right? And so we bring this dog in. And one thing that this dog has a gift of is understanding how to Houdini out of any type of boundary we try to put him in. He's smart. 
and he's crafty. And he hadn't like broken free, all the way free to get out in the neighborhood. But if he did, you better believe my family would be trying to find that dog, all right? We're still on a good terms, all right? We still love the dog. We're not going to look at each other and say, well, it was good while it lasted, all right? And y'all know what I'm talking about because as pet owners, people whose pet goes missing, man, they love for that. They, the, the love for that is evident because they're looking everywhere. In fact, maybe you've seen it in your neighborhood, the posters that get stapled up to telephone poles, missing. If you find them, maybe there's even a reward. That's how much they love this pet. But I got to ask us today, man, are we more concerned with our wandering pets than we are with our wandering church members? See, it seems that in some times, like the church, we don't have any concern over the fact that our brother and sister is wandering away from the truth. Sometimes maybe we take this approach, well, it's not my business, all right? It's not my business. I'm going to let them do them. I'm going to let me do me, and, and, and we'll see how the cookie crumbles, all right? But here's the thing, church family. It is our business when we realize that we're united together in faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Man, it is our business to go looking for people who have been entrapped or have wandered away when we realize that we are united with them in faith. Man, if you've been here long enough that you've seen somebody baptized in the baptistry, man, they're up there, they're standing before our church family, and they're making a public profession of faith. And in doing so, then the pastor says, and church family, do you promise to come alongside them? Do you promise to walk with them in the ups and downs? Do you promise to walk next to them as they walk out their faith? Man, y'all have seen it when a new family comes and maybe they're down here, right here, and they're in front of the church and they're coming to join this body of believers and they're joining on statement of faith or they're joining on letter from somebody else. And then as we tell y'all this, then the pastor says, but church family, are you willing to come alongside them? Are you willing to walk with them in the ups and downs? Are you willing to come right next to them as they walk out there? faith. And every time I've heard that given, man, everybody celebrates with one word in unison. Everybody gives a hearty amen. Over the 15 years that I've been here, I've never heard a pastor call for that plea. And then all of a sudden somebody stands up and says, one, two, three, not it. Nope, not me. You almost got me, pastor. But I understand what you're asking me to do. And that could get awkward. Man, I understand what you're asking me to do, but man, that could be too tough. So before I say yes with everybody else, I'm going to go ahead and take myself out of the equation so I'm going to be good. I've never heard that happen. Man, we all rejoice in somebody's public profession of faith. Man, we all rejoice in somebody joining our church. And not only do we rejoice, but we agree that we will walk alongside them through everything good and bad as they walk out their faith. And so church family, man, I want to tell you, if we're willing to pledge it, we need to be willing to walk it out. If we're willing to say it in unison and maybe give the can clap or the right hand of fellowship before COVID, maybe now it's just a not a fellowship, you know what I'm saying? Like if we're willing to do those things, then we ought to be willing to do what the text is asking us to do. Because the body suffers when a member is broken. 
The whole body suffers when somebody has fallen into the trap of sin. The whole body suffers. And so church, man, we got to be reminded we're not, a, we're not just the same as like these charitable organizations that some of us participate in, and they're great. But man, we're a church, we're not the Red Cross. Man, we're the church, we're not a civic club, we're not the Rotary, we're not the Kiwanis Club, all right? Man, those groups do amazing work, but by its nature, the church is something way different. Instead, we are a family. Made me sing it again, all right? Man, we're a, a group of brothers and sisters and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents who have been adopted into God's family, who are knit together by the Holy Spirit in a common fellowship. And so we must seek the spiritual welfare of one another. But wait, there's more. We keep on reading this as brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Whew. Man, we're going to try to unpack this, all right? But the verb used for restore is very instructive. In fact, the theologian Stott, he explains that this verb restore means to put back in order, to restore to its former condition. A long time ago in the Greek secular world, they would use this same word to break down if somebody was restoring maybe a fractured or a dislocated bone and resetting it. And it was even used in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, when the, the disciples were seen mending their nets. They were restoring the nets so that way they could put them back to use. And so we are called to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this call for restoration, man, sometimes it's a call that has not been answered by the church. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I've called some of y'all, and y'all see my name, and y'all say, voicemail. <laughs> but don't worry, I've done y'all like that too, okay? No, I'm playing. No, y'all know how it is. Like, sometimes the calls don't come at a great time. But this call is coming to the church for us to restore those who have fallen into a trap, to restore those who are broken and need to be mended. But instead of us answering the call, a lot of times we have the tendency to either pretend like their sin is never happening, or we tend to overreact react and react too harshly towards the one who has sinned. Y'all feel me? Man, it should be normal to do what God is asking us to do here, but we've made it not normal. Man, we come up with excuses. Man, it's too awkward. Man, we, we ignore the Holy Spirit that is saying, reach out to your brother. Man, you haven't seen him in a while. And then you're afraid. Man, what if they think I'm judging them, right? And then you find out that, man, they're choosing to do something and their whole litmus test is, I'm going to keep on doing this until somebody reaches out to me. And unfortunately, because I thought it was awkward, nobody reached out to them. Man, it's all too easy to respond to somebody's sin with gossip, with harsh judgment, or even undiscerning approval. But check this out. The goal here is to put the broken ones back together and release them back to service. Man, that's why we're mending the situation. It's so that way they can come back, so they can be restored, order can be put back into place, so that they can continue to serve others in the body. 
And when Jesus gave these steps to the church, in Matthew chapter 18, we call it church discipline. And a lot of times when I heard that growing up, I've already told y'all before, when I hear the word discipline, I'm already slanted to a Kool-Aid spoon because I know I'm about to get worn out. That's all people had to say in my house. Don't make me get that Kool-Aid spoon. I didn't even want to drink Kool-Aid until I was 32 because of it, all right? But man, when we get into Matthew chapter 18 and we talk about church discipline, please understand that the goal of the process is always supposed to be positive. The goal of the process is always supposed to be constructive. So we got to be careful not to take this on as an order and, and become a part of the righteousness police because that's not what Paul is asking us to do. He's not saying go around and inspect every detail of every person's life. In fact, man, I don't think that's what he has in mind. The matters that are highlighted here seem to be the issues that are destroying their lives. They're big things. For example, if a brother or sister are addicted to something, man, as their brother and sister in Christ, we ought to come alongside them and, and offer to help in any way. And a lot of times that's not help that we can give, but we need to understand where to send somebody for help, right? For adequate help. Man, we need to be ready to point them in the right direction. Man, if, if you know a brother who's working so many hours a week that they're neglecting their family, it's our duty to say, hey, check this out. Man, I, I don't know if the priorities are right in this situation, right? Man, I, it's, it's, our, it's our goal to come alongside them and help them see what is happening. Man, if we have a brother that's involved in a sketchy relationship, making all kinds of sketchy decisions, Man, as a brother in Christ, we ought to be willing to come alongside them in a gentle way, put our arm around them, and, and, and confront the situation. Man, if we have a sister in Christ that has missed coming to church for over a month, man, she ought to be at least getting a phone call or a text message. But too many times, I know that me, myself, I'm like, man, I should send that, but no, that, uh, oh, mm. All right, when did the Cowboys play? And I'm off to something else, all right? Church family, we ought to be people who care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, not the ones who are trying to be everybody's accountability partner. And this is what I mean by this, because it's Jesus and ultimately only Jesus who can do the forgiving and the restoration. It's only Jesus who can restore Man, he's the one that puts back together our old broken down hoopty of a spiritual life. He is the true mechanic. He's exhibit in that show that like made the cars really cool. All right, he's more than that. All right, man, he's the great physician. He's the father to the fatherless. Man, he's the friend to the lonely. Man, he's the person for the outcasts. Hey, y'all. All right, uh, man, he's the one that can restore. That's his job. Our job is just to point people towards him. Let's not get those two roles twisted up, all right? And we can't do this by ignoring sin. We can't do this by remaining silent. Man, we do this by following Christ's lead. Y'all remember the story? It's found in John chapter 8. When the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, y'all remember how that played out, right? All her accusers, they were locked and ready. They were locked and loaded and ready to chunk rocks. They were just like, say when. We're about to let them fly. And Jesus changed the narrative. 
because Jesus was more interested in restoring her, not destroying her. Y'all remember that? And he put everybody in their place because he said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and let the first person without sin throw that first rock. And they all had to drop him. And they all went away disappointed. But Jesus was all about restoring that young lady that day. And we need to be concerned for our broken brother and sister. And Jesus showed us that example, how to lead them to restoration so that way they could go and sin no more. Elbow your neighbor and say, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Check this out. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here's the thing. Just the other day, I was in Miss Denise's office, and I was bragging like I like to read. Uh, but I was telling her, these are the things I like to read. I like a good old blog that says, hey, three ways to be a great dad, or five ways to clean out all that junk in your garage. I haven't read that one yet, all right? Four ways to do this, or, or, or seven ways to do that. But, man, when we get to the end of the verse, notice that Paul doesn't give the three or the four or the five or the seven steps for restoration. But what he does do is he talks about the restorer. He says, brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them. So, man, if you like to write in your Bible, man, circle the word, underline the word, highlight the word spiritual. If you're not allowed to write in your Bible, just say it in your mind, spiritual. See, the restorer is supposed to be spiritual. And the idea behind this is that we should not be going out on rescue missions trying to rescue our brothers and sisters in Christ if we are not in ourselves living by the Spirit. Man, our culture, they love to quote Matthew 7, 1. Y'all ever heard anybody say this? Maybe, maybe they were church, maybe, maybe they were unchurched, but, but, but we have a culture that loves Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. And don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Get out of my business. Get back to your business. But it's funny how they know that verse, but they haven't read the rest of the chapter because just four more verses down in verse 5, listen to what Christ says. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will be able to see clearly. And take the speck out of your brother's eye. And once you take the log out of your eye, then you go take the speck out of your brother's eye. And he tells us, don't go around judging so that we will not be judged. But then he explains how we gently walk this process out. And y'all know our pastor loves to read. Just go into his office and then his inner office, all right? Uh, and so he's got a lot of books in both sections of them. Y'all know Jesse's like that too, got a lot of books, but he confessed he hadn't read them all. He's at least read the first couple pages of them. I like that, all right? But man, our pastor loves for us as a staff to read. And right now, I'm just going to give you the short title because the short title is two words long, but the complete title has 17 subtitles, all right? And, man, I only got X amount of minutes to preach, all right? And so here's the thing. Dr. Dan Allender, the author of Bold Love, he's a wordsmith. Listen to how he breaks this down. We are to join God in his hatred for both the sinner and the sin. Hold up. Wait a minute. Already got my attention because I, like, you know, I hate the sin, not the sinner. Let me reread it. 
we are to join God in his hatred of both the sinner and the sin, beginning with the sinner with whom we are best acquainted, ourself. The marvel of grace is that we are all inflicted with the same cancer as those who we are called to love. We are called to be the ophthalmologist, eye doctors, who see a disease in the eye of another and are so committed to removing that speck of cancer that we knowingly undergo the same surgery to remove the mass in our own eye in order to remove the disease in the others. The covering of grace enables us to know our disease is still rampant, but we will never die. So therefore, with a piercing hatred of our sin, we are called to announce tenderly and strongly the prospect of a cure to others. And this kind of engagement is with other sinners involves a hatred of whatever will destroy life and beauty. Man, Dr. Allender knows how to use his words. And man, Christ was a wordsmith too in Matthew chapter 7 that we just referenced. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't worry about what your brother's doing. You need to only worry about yourself because that is a message that the culture will tell you, right? Man, you need to be self-centered. You need to be focused on you. But actually what he's trying to say right here is he's urging us to see our own hearts first so then we can act and discuss the hearts of a brother or sister in Christ that's struggling. And by doing so, he's ruling out the issue of pride. See, only the person who can humbly repent first can then go out to those who are struggling. And so we have to understand that Jesus is opposed to the arrogant self-righteousness, but he's not opposed to the ministry of restoration performed by a person who is humbly repentant. So, man, if you write in your Bible, the first thing we said, underline, circle, or just note spiritual. But the second thing that I want us to uh, do the same thing, make note of, is that word gentleness, all right? Man, go ahead and just circle gentleness or say it in your mind. Because as restorers, we're called to be gentle. And this is not the first time that the Apostle Paul has talked about this. Y'all remember a couple weeks ago, man, he listed what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all remember him? Y'all remember anybody, the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh, but let me warn you, don't overlook gentleness just because you're trying to fancify self-control by adding to the double oh, oh at the end of it, all right? Gentleness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And because it's listed as a fruit of the Spirit, it implies that such a virtue develops as we abide in Christ. See, it's funny, because if I want to, like, speak to a, a group of guys and say, man, you got to be gentle, they're like, man, you got to just man up. Man, you're asking me to be something that I can't be. I'm not a gentle guy. I'm rough. I'm gruff. I don't know anything else that rhymes with that, all right? But, but, but like, I'm a tough guy, all right? But, man, that just tells on ourselves because if we had that attitude that we haven't been hanging out with Christ enough because in Matthew chapter 11, 29, Christ says, take my yoke upon you. Man, give me your yoke. It's too heavy, but take mine on, all right? And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, and if we're going to restore somebody, we have to understand that being gentle is key. 
And if we're not gentle and we don't understand that because we don't have that fruit of the Spirit, then we need to ask Christ for it. And as we continue to abide in Christ, he will continue to uh, allow us to understand what that fruit is all about, okay? And then the last thing, check this out. Man, if you're writing in your Bible, man, go ahead and circle the words, keep watch, all right? Keep watch. Again, man, looking at the, the entirety of verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, all right, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Man, we got to be watchful as restorers. We have to be careful. Paul tells us to watch yourself, all right, lest you be tempted as well. We must always be aware that we are not immune to falling in the same trap that our brother and sister fell in. We have to be careful. May we must persevere in guarding our lives. Remember we said earlier, the devil, he's prowling around. He's setting up these traps. And so what temptation is Paul referring to? I think it's People want to debate it, but I don't think it's debatable. But people would say, some people say, man, he's talking about spiritual pride. You got to guard that, all right? You got to be careful that you don't exalt yourself over your brother, right? There's no room for self-righteousness. Man, some of Jesus' biggest opposition were these guys full of self-righteousness. They had knowledge, but their heart wasn't in the right place. And he kept telling them that. And they didn't want to hear or understand that, all right? And then we also know this letter's being written by Paul, and Paul can list everything about his life, and he's done so before, right? And so Paul knew what it was like to be a Pharisee, and yet he understood that that was not the way to go. It's not about self-righteousness. But Paul actually, man, if you, like the other side of the debate, seems to be referring to the particular sin that has overtaken our brother or sister. So whatever sin that has trapped them, he says, watch out for that. Man, you better be careful. Like you better have your head on a swivel type of careful when trying to enter in to help another brother or sister who's broken or fallen. Because you know what? You get too close to the edge and you might fall in. None of y'all like video game back in the day, but like Super Mario Brothers, that dude, he had the strongest toes ever because like he could get all the way on the edge and he would still be standing there. But then the Sega came out and they introduced us to, y'all remember Sonic? That was a little more realistic because if you put that little blue dude on the edge, he was like, whoa, whoa, you better back me up. I'm about to fall over. All right, man, we need to be careful when trying to help our brother and sister and pull them up out of the trap that has ensnared them. Man, I heard about a guy that I went to school with back in the day. And he had a heart for his classmates. And for whatever reason, man, this group of guys, they said, man, you know, life is hard. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to get together. We're going to drink. We're going to get drunk. And we're going to be wild together. And it really affected this other friend so much so that he says, man, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to be a light to them. I need to go and let them know that, man, you don't have to drink. You don't have to get drunk. You don't have to do all these wild shenanigans. What you really need is you need Jesus Christ. He went out there with good intentions. He went out with friends. He went out there and hung out, and then he ended up getting drunk himself. Guys, we need to be careful that we don't also step in that trap that has trapped our brother and sister in Christ. 
So we need to understand that if a person is in sin, as their church family, as their relative in Christ, we're called to restore them. And sometimes when you go to, to restore somebody, they might look at you and be like, man, I'm good. I don't need your help. In fact, I'm independent. I got all this on me. But if they're a Christian, they're actually the opposite of that. They're interdependent. Man, because as Christians, we're a part of one body, right? Man, please tell me you've never been walking around your house barefoot and accidentally caught your pinky toe on something? Oh, my goodness. It's just a little toe. It's like the smallest toe I have. Well, except for my left foot because it's kind of funky, all right? But, but, man, believe me, you jack your pinky toe up, your whole body knows about it. Your whole body knows about it. Man, we have to understand that as Christians, we are dependent on one another. But the same is true that when the whole body comes together, if one part is hurting, we're all hurting. So, man, if you're living in sin, your sin will always affect others. Even if you think you got it wrapped up, even if you think you got it hidden, even if you got it in the closet and you only let it out when you're ready for it, that's not how it works. I mean, your sin will always affect others. I mean, your hurt will always affect others. I mean, if you're the one who is being led astray and, and, and you found yourself to be falling into sin, you're trapped and you can't get out, Man, I want to tell you right now, today, don't wait another day to receive help. There's people in this room that are ready and willing to help you out. Man, I've been going back and forth all weekend long with a brother in Christ who's in a struggle right now. And he says, man, I'm in a struggle. I'm in a bad way. And nobody in the church, nobody came and helped me. And I said, man, I'm sorry. I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. I didn't know that you were in this type of trouble. But now that I know, we're talking for a reason. Man, I'm trying to help you. And it was a tough conversation because he said, I don't want help. Because, man, nobody was there for me. And it was like we were going in circles. Like he needed help. I was trying to help. He didn't want the help because nobody had helped him. And so it was tough. And God's word causes us to do tough things. As church family, do you know who's missing? Do you know who's entrapped? Do you know who's struggling? And if you do know, don't turn the other way. Don't point the finger. Man, extend the hand. Let's try to help each other out. In the same way, in your own life. Man, if you're in the middle of that struggle, get help today. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to speak to our church family. God, as the band makes their way up here, God, I pray that you would start readying our hearts in a way that only you can. God, I pray that we take advantage of the next couple of minutes that you've given us to reflect on your word. God, if there's somebody in here that is in a struggle that says, man, I need help, but I don't even know who to ask. Man, let them know that there's people up here right now. I'm going to be sitting on the front pew if they want to talk with somebody. But man, let us understand that if that's where we are, man, you're asking us 
to change. You're speaking to us. And if we're hearing that, we don't need to leave here the same. So, God, I pray that your truth would do like it says in your word and it would set us free. God, I pray for our church family that we would be on the alert, not just for our own weak ankles, that we wouldn't fall into some snares and traps, but we would be on the lookout for our church family who might be missing. And we would be willing to reach out to them even though it's tough. God, I pray that we would do just that. In your name we pray. Amen.